Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Hello, hello. I'm hoping for a very different sort of day today, technologically, than we had yesterday. Uh, Okay, so this is Colin. Uh, We did a show about masks a long time ago. And when I say a long time ago, I have no idea when it was. It could have been last week. But I think it was a long time ago. And it was a fine show, except that I felt like we, we didn't really deal with the social reality of masks. Because, look, they're here, you know. They're here. We have them. And, and for the purposes of most of this show, we are going to stipulate that, you know, people have masks and people are wearing masks. There's a whole bunch of people who don't want to wear masks. We're not going to get too much into the political struggle over that. I think that's pretty well covered. But I want to talk very specifically about the idea of having. I'm being told we did the show in April, by the way. And I don't even know what April is or how long, long ago that was. So that doesn't really help me. Um, So uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit later about the fact that masks may be kind of around to stay. In other words, even after the pandemic is over, there'll be other pandemics and flu seasons and stuff like that. And people may kind of discover that they want masks, but maybe they want a slightly more high tech kind of masks. And those are on the way. So uh, there's that. We're also going to talk about sort of how wearing masks affect our, our psychology. But I also wanted to just talk about just the social reality of daily mask wearing. So to do that, we lined up Henry Alford, a humorist, journalist, and author, and dancing fool. Uh, in fact, his most recent book is And Then We Danced, A Voyage Into the Groove. Uh, Kim Adrian is the author of Sock, the 27th letter of the alphabet, and most recently, Dear Nausgaard. She has taught creative uh, nonfiction at Brown University and currently teaches at Grub Street in Boston. So I want to say one more thing before I bring them uh, into the conversation which is masks are a lot of things uh, these days. And one thing, they're sort of the new reusable bag in the sense that you have to remember to bring one with you. In the case of reusable bags, if you are committed to the idea of reusable bags or if you live in some place where non-reusable bags are sort of not acceptable, which is like most other countries at this point, then you have to remember to have your reusable bag. Well, you have to remember to have your mask too. So I have a quick story I want to tell you about those two things intersecting. This is two or three days ago. So the thing that you have to know, one of the rules of show business is you cannot use your own merch, right? Like I have sheets and pillowcases from the Henry Alford collection at Bloomingdale's, but it would be weird if Henry had them, you know, like if you stayed in Henry's guest bedroom and there were the Henry Alford sheets, he would say, well, that's a bit much. So you can't use your own merch. Well, there does happen to be such a thing as a Colin Colin McEnroe tote bag with my big stupid face on it. And I was going into a farm store and I didn't have many reusable bags. And I looked at that and I thought, I can't use that. And then I realized I'll be wearing a mask. Nobody will know who I am or they will not match my face up with the stupid face on the bag. 
And so that was uh, right away. There's like a little gift that was given to me by the world of masks. All right. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about that with uh, our guests right now. Uh, as I said, we have uh, Henry and Kim here at the beginning. I'm going to ask both of you, starting with you, Henry, just quickly, how many masks do you own right now? And, uh, and do you match masks up either with levels of formality or mood or I mean, what's your whole relationship with your mask collection, Henry? Uh, let's see. I started out with three N95 masks that my sister, who's a nurse, sent me. And those weirdly made me, uh, made my admiration for essential workers skyrocket. Because uh, it's so hot and awful. It's like having a, a, a mini rice cooker on the face. <laughs> um, then my boyfriend bought us both two uh, washable cotton masks, and that's mm -hmm. my everyday. But then we also have a box of um, disposable, you know, the pale blue right. medical ones. Um, and am I matching them to specific activities? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, because some are are lighter than others. So yeah, it depends if I'm exercising. Um, but I, I haven't gone too far into the style uh, realm of, of, of matching to wardrobe. <laughs> okay. And how about you, Kim? How, how many masks do you have at this point? Um, I just counted in my head. I have seven, but uh -huh. I really only wear three, which are the ones I bought at the beginning, which are black bandanas. Um, and I think that th those are just way more comfortable. They don't fog my glasses up and they don't hurt my ears. All right. So I, I should say that I was going to ask you guys too, whether you have the mask equivalent of sweatpants. Cause like I have these, I have a bunch, of, I don't know how many masks I've got at least seven different kinds of masks, but one of them I have, I have a large quantity of these masks that are made by fruit of the loom. And it really is like having a nice, fresh pair of tidy whitey underpants put onto your face. Uh, and it's very comfortable. I actually sort of look forward to putting that mask on. I don't know how efficacious it is. Uh, and sometimes I even put, you know, one of those disposables over it. But uh, how about you guys? Kim, do you have like a comfort mask, like a mask that you just wear because it's comfortable? It's the, the black bandanas. I yeah. love them. I mean, I, I've actually come to really like my black bandanas and sadly like i think i've come to enjoy wearing masks in general in a weird way uh. <laughs> well, well, I, we definitely want to probe into that but i think yeah. you've, I, you've also identified a really important thing which is if you can create a relationship with the thing where it's not a pain in the neck where you kind mm. of look forward to putting it on you have you have made a huge step i think towards whatever it is we're trying to step towards henry how about you do you have like a comfort mask um, all of mine are pretty comfortable. I weirdly, um, going back to your, um, your merch idea just yesterday, I talked to someone on the sidewalk whose mask was a photograph, uh, a photograph of his mouth. And it was very bizarre. I mean, it was sort of like watching a foreign movie where Catherine Deneuve rattles on for three minutes, but the subtitle reads simply no. Um, and so that's the mask I covet because that's a nice intimidation technique. Well, it does sort of bring up, you know, among the people that I feel a little bit sorry for, Henry, are the people like the people 
like the Parker Posey couple in Best in Show, the people who've had adult orthodontics, you know, like they've spent quite a bit of money in 2019 getting their teeth straightened or maybe getting something pumped into their lips. Um, it's th those people strike me as in a rather tragic position right now, given uh, the, the mask mandates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Kim, I want to just uh, probe into something you said. I think you said, sadly, I've come to look forward to putting my mask on. So explain the sad part of that. Well, I don't know if it's sad. I mean, I just it's sad that we have to that this is our situation where we all have to be wearing masks. And there are losses associated with that in the social realm, for sure. But one thing that I noticed, especially over the summer, I was like wearing a black baseball cap and my black bandana. And I was just like these two eyes. And I realized that in a weird way, it was relaxing. Like, I think especially for women, probably more than men, you're trained from a really early age to, to actually create a mask out of your own face, uh, a kind of friendliness and warmth. And if you don't have that, then you have so-called resting bitch face, which is like the neutral expression. But for women, that's like a loaded thing to just be have a neutral expression but with the mask on that's what i'm doing and i don't have to put that like extra energy into creating that that skin mask that i would normally have well that's oh, that's so that's so interesting because i'm i'm finding i'm sort of acting against that which is to say because i have the neutral no expression I'm sort of um, pulling from the Zoom, my Zoom playbook, and I'm doing a lot of eyebrow calisthenics, and I'm doing the <laughs> thumbs up gesture, and I'm doing the twinkle fingers. Right. It's like well, emojis in real life. Yeah. Well, Kim, Kim, it yeah. will reassure you to know that you are not the only person uh, thinking about that particular phenomenon. Here's Samantha B. Wearing a mask protects everyone. Early research shows wearing masks can reduce transmission of COVID-19 by as much as 50%. On the other hand, it's also reduced the effectiveness of my rusting bitch face. I have to do a lot more work with my eyes. So she sort of combined both of your comments there. Um, right. Henry's, Henry's facial calisthenics with your rusting bitch face. Um, so I want to do, I do want to talk a little bit about why some people would rebel against wearing a mask. I mean, obviously, there's uh, some politics that have been injected into it. But Henry, I think you've also noticed that there are certain people who feel like it's insufficiently hyper masculine or something to, to wear a mask. Yeah, well, that's a I mean, yeah, that's a, a huge thing is um yeah, how the how the Trump administration has 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 made the um, uh, the wearing of masks seem like a, a cis, sissified thing, um, and yeah, that's a really uh, it's such a that's such a strange approach to a, a public health crisis. And and then, of course, I think the other thing you want to mention there, of course, is, is you know, Black men at, at the start of the pandemic were afraid to wear masks at first because, you know, they were getting pulled over because a mask does look you, does make you look um, so much more, uh, what? Well, mysterious, you know, possibly up to no good. 
Um, but as the there's a journalist named Zerlina Maxwell who posted a, a picture of anti-maskers at a Target in Florida on Twitter yesterday. And as she's put it, she said, you only look at masks as oppression if you've never experienced any. <laughs> yes, that's very well put. I should add, and I want to get Kim on this too. Uh, another place that that was a problem was in South America because Kim's black bandana in South America would be associated in the past with either rebellion or outlaw. or something. They had a hard time kind of threading that, that particular thing because typically, you know, your sort of Zapatista type movements in Central and South America do involve something like that. Um, so yeah, Kim, what about that? I mean, I... I it's until I listen to Donald Trump talk, I don't necessarily think about masks as having that kind of you know, emasculating quality. In fact, the word mask is right in there. So yeah, how can right. I, but yeah. Um, I, don't, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense that the mask really is, I think it's an emblem of vulnerability. Really. You put the mask on and it's a very visual symbol that you're either worried about catching COVID or worried about giving COVID. So it's, you know, you use the word sissification, Henry, or emasculation. It's like, those are like feminine qualities, vulnerability, anxiety, worry about others. And I think if, you know, Trump is promoting this idea that the United States is invulnerable, and if that's something you're really interested in, a fantasy you're interested in pursuing, then wearing a mask is doesn't fit with that, obviously. But I, I still get it. Like, I think part of the reason I wear a black bandana is because, because of exactly that. It just, <laughs> it feels a little bit tougher than wearing like a blue hospital mask. Ah, no, I like that. So yeah, we all kind of derive power sometimes anyway from uh, the stuff that we're wearing. But, you know, Henry, just building on what Kim just said, it is sort of true that if you're wearing a mask, particularly in a situation where 100% of people are not wearing masks, wherever you're walking around, you've already started a conversation in a way, right? You've already kind of said a few things about yourself. Yes, absolutely. No, because mask wearing is the, the new social contract. Um, and yeah, I think the way that that trickles down into those of us who do believe in science is, you know, now that when you want to get together with friends and say, sit in their backyard and have a drink together, you have to do this little, uh, assessment of, of everyone's level of anxiety and then cater to the most cautious person's mm -hmm. dictates. So yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it's totally changed how how we interact with people. So, um, Kim, you'll be glad to know that we have a long tradition of uh, talking about semiotics uh, on this show anyway. So, um, I mean, there is a way in which the mask is, in a lot of the ways that you're already suggesting, just kind of altering are uh, uh, the way that we communicate. We have to yeah. communicate in, in other ways or, or, or all, I don't know. I can already tell you have something to say about that. So I'll shut up. <laughs> um, well, I think the example that Henry gave of like the, the mouth on the mask is fascinating. Like mm -hmm. th there's something about a mask that's super uncanny to begin with. And then like upping that game a little bit with a, with a word, which I, I love the masks that have words there because you're covering the mouth, but you're still saying something. Um, but 
I wrote a book about socks. And one of the things I learned when I wrote that is that the classic reasoning given for why humans wear clothing is that it's three pronged. We wear clothing for protection. We wear it for sexual modesty and we wear clothing for decoration. And obviously the masks that we're wearing now are mostly for protection, but very quickly it went into decoration and into this kind of semiotic, you know, meaning nugget exchanges. You, you get to use your mask as a little billboard of signification. Um, like the tennis player, you know, Naomi Osaka, I think, mm -hmm. who, who had the names of victims of police brutality on each of her masks, 14 masks or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a really potent way to use a mask to get a message across. All right, we're already planning now on doing a, a whole episode about socks. You're you're on the kind of <laughs> no seriously, you are on the kind of show where we would do an entire episode about socks, and you will be what we call the anchor guest. Whether uh, Henry will be on will depend on whether Bloomingdale's is carrying his socks at that point. I don't, you know, he might have a conflict of interest or something. Um, so you know, the other thing that I was thinking about here is, you know, I think the thing that we didn't do, Henry. Um, as a society, maybe we just were caught pretty flat-footed, is kind of build up a set. We built up a set of norms in the sense that you're talking about. Like you're at a party and you figure out like how uncomfortable uh, everybody is and all that kind of stuff. But I, I mean more like, you know, that we didn't build a whole sort of, well, semiotic framework around masks that is positive. You know, like, I, there, where are all the really cool PSAs? I mean, I guess there are a few of them and stuff like that, but with interesting celebrities talking about stuff or to me, you know, noses are the new nipples. And, you know, if it's like if they're <laughs> exposed, that could be a, a problem. Maybe you have Janet Jackson and, and Justin Timberlake do uh, a little mask PSA of some kind. But it seems to me, Henry, we didn't really do that, right? We didn't, there wasn't really an effort to make masks either happy or cool they were just this thing that somebody was telling you you had to wear yeah i, I mean i th i think it's that stuff is trickling in there's a new um paul rudd video that has a little bit of that there's a new 916 dollar louis vuitton mask with a polarizing face shield so i think we're getting more colors in the mask rainbow and that's in turn will yeah get people to talk more about them but yeah as it is now i think the way that people are expressing their individual uh approach to it is is with their masks at rest you know like the guy who's dangling it from his ear like it's a wind <laughs> sock yeah. or the person who's um, sort of gaily um, knotted a bandana around their neck, like they're a Budweiser, or like they're a golden retriever in a in a Budweiser commercial. Yeah, they're sort of mask curious or mask adjacent or something. Ex exactly. But, but they're not quite wearing masks. It seems to me the other thing, and this will kind of um, help us run toward uh, our next segment, Kim, is that masks, because they deprive the viewer of quite a bit of content about us. You, you can't see uh, our, our mouths. You can't see maybe our noses. Well, ideally, you can't see our noses. There's a lot of things you can't see that might allow you to read another person. So then you kind of have to decide if you're going to have an opinion about masks, which is more important to me, being able to conceal various tells of my own. <laughs> 
<laughs> or mm. having access to other people's tells uh, or or the kind of information that might be present in the lower half of their faces. So uh, oh, yeah. tell me what you make yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, well, I just, I, I, I have noticed in myself, like, well, so I'm an avid amateur photographer. And lately I've been, I didn't even realize this until I started thinking about the show. But um, I've been taking photographs of like found faces in trees or in, you know, on tractors or wherever you can find a sort of found face. Um, and I've been taking dozens and dozens of these pictures. And it suddenly occurred to me that I feel like I have a hunger for faces. Like, I think there's a real loneliness that happens. We're already so isolated from each other pre-COVID with our screens and our earbuds and then COVID comes and we're even more isolated and now we can't even see each other's faces. And so you don't get the little, little subtle smile exchange on the sidewalk. That's like a little endorphin burst. Like we don't see each other's smiles anymore and we have, we don't smile so that other people can see our smiles. And I think that's, that's something that I really miss. I'd rather not have a mask for that reason. Right. Somebody um, had, uh, I think, tweeted at me about just sort of smiling at babies in grocery stores. <laughs> that, that was kind of a thing that she did, you know, and she now realizes the babies are also not getting smiled at by strangers. I wanted to read uh, one uh, Facebook comment I got to. This is from Paul. He says, the biggest trouble I have is that people can't see me smile. I have an occasionally annoying voice that always sounds serious. A friend told me, put a smile in your voice. But when I try, it sounds silly and condescending. So, uh, Henry, you're so good at giving advice. Do you have any advice for, for Paul about that? Um, he, Paul has, has to up his eyebrow game. Um, you know, I'm lucky because I have bushy eyebrows, so it, it always looks like I've just invented something, but, but Paul or, or anyone, yeah, you just, you got to wiggle them around. And, you know, the other thing to this point is that I think that we're seeing the, the huggers are, are coming out of the woods. Those people really feel deprived. Um, and, you know, you've, you've deprived these people for six months and now mama bear is going to chase you around the picnic table. Um, so yeah, people who love to smile, people who love to hug, they're all feeling the brunt of this. I, I happened to know that Paul used to run a jazz club. So what I told him was, think Louis Armstrong, because Louis Armstrong <laughs> used his entire face to smile. Um, you know, I mean, in fact, there's a whole theory among vocal coaches that if you want to do that voice, you have to smile and bring your he would bring his eyebrows and his entire forehead up with that smile. So you could probably if you did Louis Armstrong, you could probably smile with a mask on and people would still know. But, you know, Kim, that brings you down to another interesting thing about how we read each other, because, you know, we've all looked at somebody who was talking to us and smiling and then looked at the rest of their face and realized that they weren't really being friendly, you know, mm. that the smile was actually kind of a menacing smile. I mean, there's a way right. in which we put a person together, not by just their eyes or not just by just their smile, or, but we, we, there's a much more holistic way that we go at that. And it is weird to operate with missing pieces. Sure. Yeah. But I do think that the smile is a very, like a genuine smile is a, there's a chiropractor in my neighborhood that I can't remember exactly what he puts on his window, but it's like, it's like 
don't forget to smile. It's the most potent medicine or something like that. And I actually think there's so much truth to that. Um, I do think that's something that we're really missing and we can't underestimate that, but we, we have to make do with eyebrows for a while. <laughs> right. Make do with eyebrows indeed. Yeah. No, that's a good slogan. I still like noses are the new nipples. Cover them up or you'll get fine. <laughs> um, uh, all right. So it's been so great to get started with these two guests. This is exactly the kind of conversation that I'd hoped we'd have. And they were uh, both so wonderful and smart. Henry Alford, humorous journalist, author, frequent guest on this show, uh, soon to be uh, a 2021 uh, Dancing with the Stars I would have been so great to see you go up against Carol Baskin this year. I don't know why you weren't chosen, but um, Kim Adrian is the author of and soon to be. You think we're kidding, but we're going to do a show about socks and you're going to be on it. Um, okay. Uh, of sock, the 27th letter of the alphabet. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll, we'll take Thank a break so and we're going to come back with some psychotherapy for y'all. M to the A to the S to the K Put the mask on the face just to make it next day Feds be haunting me, jokers be stalking me I walk the street and camouflage my identity My posse in a Brooklyn wear the mask My crew in a Jersey wear the mask I got kids doing boogie woogie wear the mask All right. Welcome back. Today's show is about masks. They are in our lives. Uh, I mean, they are really in our lives and they are on our faces. So that's a pretty intimate relationship we have with them. But what do they do to the rest of our relationships? How do we make masks work for us as opposed to against us, particularly in social interactions? Here to continue that conversation is Molly Rubin, an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Maine. Welcome to our conversation indeed, Molly. Thank you, Colin. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, you know, this just to sort of build on what was said in the first segment, you know, a lot of our lives does consist of brief interactions with people that we we either don't know at all or know only casually or we see them once a week in the supermarket. And and I was very touched by the person on Twitter who was talking about how, you know, typically if somebody's going by with a baby in the car, she smiles at the baby. And so the baby sees her smile. She has the whatever, you know, endorphins are released when you smile at a baby, the mother or or father sees somebody smiling at their baby and so that's they get some benefits out all that's gone right now right so i mean how, how big a deficit does that turn out to be mm, yeah it's a great question and you know that's something that my lab studies is how these first impressions occur in normal everyday life and our normal everyday life has changed dramatically over the last six months um so you know for that baby, um, you, you can't underestimate the power of humans and the resiliency and adaptability of humans. I would say if you're that person on the other end that typically does smile, continue to do that. The smile is not just limited to the mouth. It will come through in your eyes and in other aspects of your demeanor. And I would imagine that babies that are being raised right now, and you know, I'm not a developmental psychologist, so don't quote me on this, mm -hmm. but I would imagine that young children that are going through this right now are going to be very attentive to these very small changes that others are not aware of um, because they don't have access to the full face. So I would encourage people to continue smiling. Not only is that gonna have a positive impact on yourself, and your own physical response, um, but it is going to come out in other ways. And then we, we're not limited just to our faces, right? We have gestures. Oftentimes when I'm out in the neighborhood with my mask on, I will wave to people and I'm not a waver. 
but I go out of my way to create that affiliative bond and let people know that I'm still thinking about others during this time. So if there are other ways that we can compensate for that lack of smile, um, we have to get a little creative and maybe out of our comfort zone and do that. I think that's a really great point, actually. I, I think I'm a much more avid waiver these days, too, partly because you're seeking certain kinds of connections that aren't as easy to have. Uh, and so that's a connection. You wave at the guy in the Amazon truck and he waves back at you. Um, yesterday, yesterday, I actually, slightly in desperation, there was a cable truck in my area and I wanted some help with something. But I left, I typed up a note and I left it on the windshield for the for the Comcast person. Uh, but it was like a really friendly note and uh, my significant other even drew a smiley face on the note. So, <laughs> so, so to your point, you know, that's another thing that we can do, I guess, is find, find these substitute communication systems. Definitely. So um, I guess the other thing though, is that we, so we're that, that's sort of talking mostly about how we express ourselves to other people, but the other half of that is how we read uh, other people. And there are certain things, I think, certain responses that people communicate heavily with their mouths. If you can't see the person's mouth, you really might be missing some critical information about how they're reacting to a situation. Maybe you, you can say some more about that. Yeah, so the face gives us a, a lot of information about how people are feeling and their intentions, their values, even their personality can come out in the face in terms of expressions and the ability to express themselves. And the two areas of the face that we rely on are usually the eye and mouth regions. So by obstructing and taking away access to half of the face, we are definitely changing the way that we are perceiving and um, making these accurate perceptions of others. Um, so there may be some, some issues with that where we are not as accurate as we normally are, and we may have to ask for help if we're interacting with someone we know in terms of, I, you know, I thought that you were feeling this way, but I'm not really sure. I just wanted to check in. Um, and, and we don't usually do that and ask for feedback about our perception, but I would encourage people to do that at this moment. Um, in terms of interacting with strangers and the impressions that are made with masks, we have a new line of research where we've actually shown photographs of the same people that are in masks uh, and not in masks to new people. And we've asked them to make first impression judgments of how warm these people are, how competent or intelligent they are. Um, and then some other ratings that um, are a little bit more about uh, anxiety in interacting with this person. And those photographs vary in gender and race. Um, we have some specific interests in, in understanding bias around mask wearing and what that does to our impressions. Um, we have some hot off the press results and we have a few papers that are um, out under review right now with these results. Um, the the take-home message really is that those that are in masks kind of across gender and race are being perceived more positively than those not in masks. And the caveat of this research is that everyone masked and non-masked have a neutral expression. So there's no affect on the face. There's no positivity or smile or negative angry expression. They're all neutral. Um, so I would say what this means is that when we come into pe 
contact with people on the street um, or in the grocery store, strangers that we don't know, um, that, that actually wearing a mask is going to give a more positive impression of your warmth, your competence, um, is going to make people want to approach you a little bit more than if you're not in a mask. Um, and we did make the COVID atmosphere and environment very uh, salient when we asked our perceivers to make these judgments. Um, and so part of it could be that, that these people are being perceived as these public health defenders, they're following recommendations, they're really caring for others around them. And because of that, we see these more positive impressions formed. You know, another place that I think this does come up um, is, and it comes up not quite so much now because I think there's less of it going on, but in the actual psychotherapeutic or behavioral health clinical setting, I, I was actually recently offered the choice uh, of having a behavioral health appointment um, in, in an office. I didn't exactly know how that was going to work, but I was 100% sure I would be wearing a mask if I did it, mm -hmm. or via Zoom. And I ultimately chose Zoom for a bunch of different, re different reasons, but one of them was I just thought it would be weird to see a therapist uh, who was probably going to be wearing a mask, and I would probably be wearing a mask. It just didn't... I just wondered whether I could successfully communicate that way. I don't know what I expect you to say about that, but I'm sure you have something. <laughs> it's, it's a great point. And, and what we're seeing in, in the larger doctor-patient field right now is that there's more talk about the masks that allow you to actually see the lower half of the face. So those see-through masks, the more plastic-like um, visible um, masks. And the reason that is so important right now especially is that in doctor-patient relationships, emotion is usually um, put to the side, that it, it is not a really important aspect that providers are trained on or pick up on or respond to. And um, patients often look to their providers for their own affective response to try to understand how serious a diagnosis is, um, et cetera. And so um, not having that access really could uh, change the dynamic of the doctor-patient relationship when trust is so, so important right now. And for patients that are likely going to appointments by themselves without caregivers or loved ones because they're not allowed to go with them, they're not getting that same support that they normally would. Um, so I understand why you went with the uh, telehealth route as opposed to an in-person appointment with a mask. I think our first inclination is to have full access. Um, but I do think being in the same space gives you something different, even with a mask, than if you're on a telehealth screen. Um, the two-dimensional aspect, um, the flow of the conversation can be a little bit different over Zoom um, or telehealth than it is um, in person. You don't get the full body cues of when it's your turn to talk um, and how upset or distressed somebody is. Um, you can't see from that full holistic view that you were just talking about earlier, um, that we make these impressions based on a holistic view of the person, not just the face. Um, so I do think that there are trade-offs to both um, in terms of what we get out of our experiences in person with a mask versus online. Um, with a full face. So I'm just curious, what 
um, you, you're obviously a person who would think a lot about this. Uh, as you reflect on your own experience of putting on a mask and then interacting with people while wearing a mask, you might have heard Kim Adrian say at the beginning, in a way, she started to kind of look forward to it and enjoy some of the power she gets uh, out of having a mask on and not having to conform her face to somebody else's expectations. What, what's your experience of wearing a mask? You know, I think it depends on the day for me. And I do think quite a lot about this. And and I'm very self-aware of my own expressiveness. And unfortunately, Zoom has made me even more aware of my expressiveness because I constantly see myself view. But when I'm out in public, um, you know, walking down the street with a mask, I think a lot about how I have both um, stopped interacting as much and being as expressive. So I think one of two things has happened to people in masks. I think that that masks have created um, this dynamic where it's too effortful to express oneself and to try that they have completely shut down their expression. And so oftentimes when I pass people, I notice them looking down at the sidewalk and not even wanting to make eye contact with me. Um, and I also think it can go the other way that that I've noticed myself and some others being overly expressive and overly friendly with that wave or that hello, um, really trying to connect and show that you are a welcoming, happy um, person that that really just is is trying. And um, you know, I think we need more of that right now. We need more of those strangers reaching out and and just saying hi because that really does make a difference in our day when we're able to connect with somebody even on just a surface level very quickly on a walk around the neighborhood right this has been a terrific conversation Uh, and um yeah i think one of the takeaways i'm getting from you too is the idea of if you have historically in your life relied on people to figure something out about you from cues you may be giving off, you know, you probably should verbalize those things instead of just assuming that somebody knows you're in pain or that, you know, what they just said really made you sick or something. Uh, You probably have to tell people more. I, I assume that would be one of the lessons. Definitely one of the lessons is that we just need to be a little louder with our expression these days. And whether that comes from verbal or other nonverbal cues that don't rely solely on that mouth region, that's kind of where we need to, to go right now because we do still need that social connection. We do still need to be accurately perceived um, and we need to accurately perceive others. And so how can we use our other um body parts and voices to make sure that 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 it happens and that we are still connected on a level as society as we go through this together. All right. Molly Rubin uh, from the University of Maine, uh, someone who really studies uh, facial awareness, assistant uh, professor of psychology at the University of Maine. Thanks for joining us. We'll take a break. We'll come back. You know, masks may be kind of here to stay because once you learn to wear them and get through a pandemic, Why wouldn't you wear them during flu season? But are masks going to get even better or smarter?
I'm so happy doing today's show because things are working technologically. Knock wood. Uh, yesterday was really, really challenging. Uh, but uh, it's great also to be working, as usual, with Cat Pastor, uh, a calm presence in the studio at all times, uh, even times of crisis. Uh, and uh, she's the person who makes it possible for me to work remotely. And same for Betsy Kaplan, who's the senior producer of the Colin McEnroe Show and the producer of this episode. And tomorrow we are going to do The Nose, our weekly cultural roundtable. One thing we're going to do, there's this a Senegalese movie called Cuties that's kind of turned into this political shuttlecock. Uh, and so, but I think most of the people who are talking about it haven't seen it, so we're watching it. We'll talk to you about that and other things as well. Uh, all right, so now time to talk about masks of the future. Uh, and here to help us with that is Elizabeth Segrin, a senior, a senior staff writer at Fast Company and the author of The Rocket Years, How Your 20s Launch the Rest of Your Life. Elizabeth Segrin, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so, um, well, first of all, let's start with this idea. You know, I'm sure there are people who think that there's going to be a day where everybody's vaccinated and you can put away your masks uh, forever. But I think there is another group of people. I mean, you look at other countries, particularly in Asia, you know, masks are kind of a constant. So so what's the thinking? Uh, Are we going to stay at least somewhat masked and going in like five years out from now? Yeah, I think that that's a very likely possibility. Um, So I think that the reason that uh, Asia has a different culture around masks is is because of SARS, the last global pandemic. Uh, Asia was hit far worse than we were. And so, you know, people were wearing masks throughout that. And then, you know, like you said before, you know, in the in the aftermath of that, it seemed like, well, you know, if we have these masks and we know that they protect us, why wouldn't we wear them if we get sick or, you know, if the air pollution gets really bad? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a fashion reporter and, you know, what I've found is that a lot of uh, apparel brands um, are now thinking about masks as kind of a long-term project as as part of their assortment of products. And so I I think there's a really good chance that 10 years from now, masks are going to be, you know, a, a constant in our life. Right. I think sort of, you know, masks are also, they're sort of the new podcasts. You know, everybody's starting a little, a little mask company right now, or every company is repurposing itself and making sure it has a mask division. So one of the things that's going to happen apparently uh, is that the masks are going to get smarter, more differentiated. Uh, So you're starting to encounter terms like sensorial immersion (laughs) and symbiosis. Tell us about those words. Totally. So, um, I had the opportunity to chat with Reebok recently, and what they're doing is that, you know, they're sending their designers off to really imagine the most creative, innovative masks of the future. Uh, Based on this premise we talked about before, that masks are just going to be part of apparel, you know, 10 years from now. And they have come up with some really interesting, uh, slightly dystopian looking masks. My two favorite ones are, um, there's one mask that they have that is actually embedded with moss uh, on the outside so that it can go through photosynthesis and purify the air. So, so there are these little masks that you put on that, that have like a, a moss covering on them. That, that's pretty weird. Uh, another mask is this mask that goes over your entire head. Um, 
it's kind of like, um, you know, th this, this fabric that just kind of goes all over your head. And then the entire front part is see-through so that you can see somebody's eyes, but the, the mouth itself is covered um, with a respirator, which will, will again purify the air. Uh, but what's really interesting about this mask is, is that it's a sensorial mask. So what it's gonna be doing is it's also going to be tracking a lot of your biometrics. So the way that you currently have a Fitbit that helps you track you know, your calorie intake and your steps, this mask will, you know, provide, you know, insight on your Apple Watch about, you know, how great the oxygen is and, you know, how many breaths you took today. See, I, I, I'm usually wrong <laughs> about these things, but I just feel like those is, that's going to have a short life. You know, I actually think an awful lot of this kind of sort of biofeedbacky Apple Watch. What is the Auros ring? You know, I, I, I got pretty tired after a while of having my Fitbit <laughs> talk to me about myself. And I'm wondering about that. And I'm also some of the just these things, they sound like, you know, you're going to like if you're wearing a mask over your whole head. I don't know. You're going to look like one of the guys trying to get Mel Gibson in the Road Warrior or something. You know, when, like a minor, totally. Well, yeah, but I also think that, you know, this, what's so fascinating about this is that, um, you know, we, we could actually stand to use some of these masks right now. I mean, you know, we're talking right now about the pandemic, but, you know, out on the West Coast, there are all these fires. And I think there's been a, a massive shortage of respirators and like N95 masks. And so I think that at a certain point, we're going to sort of give up, uh, you know, this conversation about how weird it looks and how awkward it feels. And we're just going to be in desperate need of oxygen right and i think that that unfortunately brands are already beginning beginning to think about how you know they can create products for that moment so i didn't realize also i mean there are these i guess things like copper and graphene that can be used to create antimicrobial masks apparently queen elizabeth has anti-microbial <laughs> gloves i think that's mainly when she's around andrew because god knows where he's been but um but but that's like so that that that'll be another iteration, right? That the mask, the fabric of the mask itself, maybe does something. Yeah. So so I think that what's really interesting here is you know the, the Reebok masks are they're not in production. They're just kind of people imagining what masks are going to be. Um, we already know we've known actually for a long time that there are these antimicrobial materials. The problem right now is that lots of brands are just incorporating fabric that is embedded with copper and other um, antimicrobial materials and selling these masks as uh, antimicrobial masks. And the problem is that, you know, when I spoke to experts about this, they're excited about the innovation, but they're also a little cautious about, you know, selling something that we're not actually that sure about, right? There hasn't, there haven't been enough scientific analyses about whether these masks actually do what they say they do. Um, and also, you know, if the material itself is antimicrobial, but there's still um, gaps around it, it's not like, you know, you're not going to be breathing in, you know, particles, right? And so, so, so basically what I would say is that I, I think, you know, we should just be really cautious about the, the new products that are entering the market. I think we should take them as a sign that there's a lot of innovation happening. People are really trying to improve on masks. Um, but I, I think that for right now, we should just be really skeptical about products that, that promise something that, that hasn't been really proven yet. I think that's excellent advice. So, um, Elizabeth Seagram, you've had a chance to sort of look at and maybe even try on some of the second and third generation masks. Uh, did you fall in love with any particular product? 
Oh, totally. Yeah. As a fashion reporter, my life has just been like an avalanche of masks. Um, so, so yeah, you know, there's tons of fashion masks on the market, but I, I was actually much more interested in the, the masks that are kind of designed forward. Um, there are actually two shoe companies that are doing really fascinating thing with things with masks. There's a company called Eosh that makes women's shoes using 3D printers. And what they did was they basically um, use their 3D printers to come up with a mask that is kind of like an N95 mask that totally covers your face and that has these little um, pockets for, for you to put a filter. And it's basically... Um, supposed to, to kind of replace uh, an N95 mask, but it's totally washable. You can put it in the washing machine. You can put it in the dishwasher. Um, and I, I tried it and it actually feels really comfortable because it's made of this soft plastic material. So that's one that I was actually really impressed by. Um, and then there's this very hip uh, shoe company called Rothy's that makes shoes using uh, 3D knitting. And what that allows you to do is that it can create these kind of curves in its, uh, in its fabric. And so it's created these masks that really fit comfortably around your whole face and that have um, little sort of, uh, basically that the material is, is very breathable. So it's it's doing everything that the CDC is asking you to do. You know, you're going out in a mask, but you can still breathe fine. And it's super comfortable and it comes in some fun colors. <laughs> so there's a ton of innovation happening. And finally, there's a, a, a Boston-based company oh, yeah. called Ministry of Supply. You know, Elizabeth, that, we, Elizabeth, we might not have time for Ministry of Supply, oh, but but I okay. would recommend, first of all, that people check out Elizabeth Segrin's a terrific writing about this topic in Fast Company. You can learn about all this stuff. Meanwhile, what a great bunch of guests. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, thanks so much for rounding out the show in such fine fashion. Thanks again to Betsy Kaplan, Cat Pastor. We'll be back tomorrow with the nose. We might have to talk about Kanye West again. This whole Kardashian Kanye thing, it's it's overwhelming us.